My guest on this week's episode of Says and Search is Elz Ertz, co-founder of AG Consult. Elz and her team work with brands on user research, behavioral psychology, and testing. She has developed a reputation as one of the most rigorous researchers in the industry. She's spoken at numerous conferences, including YoastCon, CTA Conference, CXL Live, and Conversion Hotel. This is not a trust your gut conversation. This is not a feature dump about the latest trend. But if you're interested in a blunt conversation about how to perform user research based on years of experience from a seasoned pro, then stay tuned. Els will point out that user research has never been more popular. There's more money and attention going to collecting good data than ever before. Despite the excitement, user researchers are making all sorts of mistakes. In some cases, bad research and testing can even be dangerous. What are some of the common pitfalls of user research? What are the first few steps to a good test? What about the thorny issue of bias? I'm going to ask Els these questions and many more. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Els Ertz. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of user research. We'll spend a little time talking about how smaller companies can collect clean data. And we'll also chat about the best practices of reporting. All right, Els, welcome to Southern Search. How are you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Great. I just watched your YoastCon talk, and this is going to be really exciting for me because you open the YoastCon talk and you say, listen, SEO, PPC, that's not my jam. And I talk to a lot of SEOs and BBC people, so a break from that is really appreciated. Before we kind of get into it, what, what sorts of things do you and your team and AG can all focus on? What sorts of problems? Um, well, basically what we focus on is user research-based optimization. Uh, in the olden days, when when I got started, and this is this is back in two thousand and one, so it is it is this century, but only fucking just. Um, it was called usability and user friendliness. Um, whereas now, more recently, it is it is moved towards what is commonly known as conversion rate optimization. Um, I'm I'm not a fan of either of of the of the, of the terms actually. But I feel that what, what we've been doing has been the same for these 20 years, basically making it easier for people to do what they want to do on a website or an app, because if you do that, success will follow. Um, it's, it's much better to, to look at it from that point of view. What do, my, what do my customers really want than to think like, how can I make them do something or, you know, it's, it's. I, I don't believe in that. So old school user research as the basis for optimization. That's what we do. I love it. And they, you, you do a take on, I think it's dirty hairy with the good, the bad, the ugly um, in the talk. And I, it, it really made me re remember something. I recently did a, a business school, like a, a program through a business school here in the States where we learned a bunch of things. But one of them was that CEOs today are really interested in data, like data-driven decisions. This is the whole uh, the whole focus for this business school now is to get people ready for that kind of environment. So you, you talk about the, the good is that people are more invested than ever in this kind of thing. Companies are spending more. People are, uh, are, are more interested. They're, you're going to have a captive audience, you know, kind of help us to understand the good part. And then what's the bad part of this? What, what's, what's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a quantity quality problem. I yeah. So yeah, indeed, the good part is that it's, it's like you said, CEOs are much more open to making, and businesses in general, much more open to making data-driven decisions. So that's a great thing. Uh, the bad part is, is that 
basically the quality of the data that is being used to make those decisions, yeah, it just isn't always the greatest. Um, and that is that is the truth for, I would say, any types of research. Like I, my thing is is more user research, customer research, but I mean, my analytics counterparts are saying the same thing. Like we have all this data, but can we really trust it? If you can't, because if you can't trust your data quality, yeah, then then you're making decisions ba still based on assumptions, really, based on lies. You're just, the data is telling you lies. And so getting good quality data is extremely important. And most people realize this for analytics, even though I don't know how many analytics setups you see, Mark, but we see a few and it very rarely is there nothing uh, where we can sort of say like, you know, this is a big oopsie here. Um, so, but the thing is in analytics, it's sometimes I think probably easier to spot, whereas in qualitative user research, it's really quite hard to spot when research is good or when research is really bad. That's interesting. And it does, it, the, the framework you outline is so well done. And I think it's born out of um, seeing mistakes over all these years of doing it. You know, like the, we, we're not going to repeat the mistakes, but one of the things that occurred to me is, you know, a lot of my clients are, are smaller businesses. They're, they're sophisticated smaller businesses. They're smaller businesses. Is this sort of user research and data collection really only available to multi-billion dollar international companies or can, you know, relatively speaking, smaller companies take advantage of this as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's, that's the thing. A, a, a lot of the time when people think about optimization and they think about data, they think about analytics and, and that's a good thing. Analytics, even if you're a small company, analytics, you should always have uh, uh, in some form or other, uh, some tool or other. Um, you're cheating. You're not drinking beer, Mark. I saw you. Is that tea? That is that. What? Anyway, never mind. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that's fine. Um, it's it's analytics is really good. A/B testing is what people sort of get fixated on when they think about optimization. But for A/B testing, you have to have volume. And if you're a business that is just starting out, or if you're, or if you're a small business, and especially a small business in a smaller country or in a smaller language zone, like hello, Belgium, I'm from Belgium. I mean, I mean, our country is, 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 is probably smaller than the small, than the smallest state in the U S I don't know anything about geography, Google it. Um, but so no, the qualitative research is super interesting for smaller businesses. It also, it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg to do, to do research, um, to do it right. I mean, surveys are a very accessible form of research. They're a hard form of research to get right. I'm going to have to say that. But they are, if you ask the right questions, it's super cheap to set up a survey. All you have to do is really is know what you're doing, but then running the actual thing, yeah, that's not going to cost you a lot of money at all. Right. Well, it's very interesting. So it's accessible for everybody, and I, I, I want to get to the tips, but... Before we do, you know, you, you you make a really good case for, you know, doing all this stuff correctly. And one of the mm -hmm. things you say is that bad research can be dangerous. Yeah. That's, that's pretty provocative. Like, it was like, just dangerous. How so? Yeah. Like I said, if you, if you do bad research, um, 
then then you base yourself you on 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 bad data. And I I like to compare it to mushrooms. Um, like if you go foraging for mushrooms, you sort of really have to know what you're doing because it might be the last. If you pick the wrong mushroom and you put that in your omelet, it might be the last omelet you ever eat. You know. Um, I don't I don't know many people who just go out and say like. I feel like mushrooms in my omelet today. Let's just go out into the forest and get some. Because it might get you killed. No joke. Because a good mushroom can look extremely similar to a deadly poisonous mushroom. And that's the problem with research as well. If you don't know what you're looking at, you don't know whether what you're doing is actually right. I would argue it goes for analytic setup because, you know, the amount of times that we see, oh, yeah, you're firing every event twice. Hmm, yeah, that th this bloats your numbers for sure. If you don't know what to look for, you don't see that. In surveys, it's the same thing. Um, it's very, very easy to ask the wrong question. And if you ask the wrong question in a survey, if you, if you ask a biased question, a leading question, a loaded question, you're going to get a bad answer. But if you don't know that, you will think this answer is the truth when really you were asking to be lied to and they lied to you. And now you're going to base decisions on lies. Not good. Very interesting. Yeah, I love this. So like, let's let's kind of get into what to do. So one of the tips mm -hmm. I really like, I liked your approach to goal setting. So you, you suggest that we write down, not just kind of have it in our head, but like write it down. Uh, what do you want to find out? Mm -hmm. And the second thing to write down is why is it important to find out? I love that. And I especially like the second part because yes. I've been down the road before where I'm doing some sort of research and I'm like halfway through it. And I go, why are we doing this in the first place? I give you an arm. We, well, we would start down this road and it's, if it was written down, I would, oh yeah, that's why I would write down. Uh, yeah. But taking the time to write down what you want to find out and why you want to find it out. That kind of like helps you with problem solving down the road. Does that sound right to you? Oh, absolutely. I I, th I think you 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 summarize that really really well. It, you have to always start. I think from because people say, like, I, what are what are our research KPIs? You have to start from your business KPIs. We are optimizing for. We are doing research for the business. Um, you know, our research KPI is to find out what what. No, no, no. What's the business KPI first? And then, okay, hmm, what kind of research do we need to do to be able to accomplish this KPI? And indeed, if we find out X, what are we going to do with it? <laughs> what, does that mean, what does that mean for us going forward? Um, if, if you can't think of something you will do with the information once you find it out, then you have to sort of ask yourself, why am I doing it? So really defining those research questions clearly and why are we doing this? What are we uh, going to be able to do once we know this? Um, I think it's very important. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned surveys. And I went, hmm, I don't think I know all the methodologies for actually doing user research. So let's talk about methodology quickly. Before we can do that, you say that you need to find the question you're trying to answer, whether it's a qualitative one or a quantitative one. Uh, and, and then once you have, have that answered, you can figure out what methodology is best 
like I said, I don't even think I know all the methodologies someone could choose from. Uh, but but really, that seems like a practical place to start. How, how does determining why and what, those qualitative and quantitative uh, questions, how does that help us determine which is the best methodology to choose from? Yeah, that's... Um... Well, I, I I shared a framework in in my in my in my talk for for Yoast uh, that is basically based on the on a framework by Christian Rohrer. Uh, I shared it on the Jacob Nielsen's website, well, the Nielsen Norman Group. Um, I mean, I know Jacob Nielsen is old. I still love Jacob. He, uh, he you know, he's he said some things that are still extremely relevant today. It's not because. Um, tips were given uh, many years ago that they're not relevant, they are. Uh, and this framework is really something that has stood the test of time. First of all, yeah, you have to know what, what is what, what are you trying to find out. So for example, um, if you want to find out what the problem is in your four-step funnel, that is, a, I would call that, that's a what question. That's, that's a quantitative question. Because if you want to know what step that is, you have to know that actually means what is the step that most people drop off in? That's a quantity question. But even that, you know, you have to be able to, you have to know what a question really, really means. What step of the funnel? Oh, okay, what step of the most people drop off in? Okay, so that's quantity. So I need quantity for that. I also need to do research that gives me numbers. Analytics is a great place to so look at that. If you want to know, you know, um, if you, usually it's, it's, if you can rephrase the question in a, how many question, that means this is a quantitative question. Um, the other side is qualitative. And this is where, if you want to find out why something is happening, because the quantitative bit you usually can find in things like analytics, you can look at heat maps again, the heat map tools aren't super specific about this should be. Um, but they should come with a warning, like this heat map is only based on 40 sessions. Don't trust this heat map yet. You know, um, that's just, that's just reality. But a lot of people don't, don't, don't even know that. But so that's the quantitative. For the qualitative, if you want to know why something is happening or why people, you know, feel a certain way about your product, then you have to talk to them. That, that's an interview. You have to find out more about, you know, what is their... Basically, what does their life look like <laughs> is, is what you need to find out for how, how people perceive your, your solution or how people perceive the problem to start with. And if you know why people are doing something on your website or on your app, like, you know, quantitative research can tell you, okay, we see a huge drop off in step three of the funnel. Yes, I can see that. Why is this happening? Sometimes if you're, if you're an expert and you look at, you know, the flow and you go through the flow and you're, you have a knowledge of usability and I, what I call, and Steve Krug calls advanced common sense, then often you can sort of go like, oh yeah, this might be a problem. That might be a problem. Also, you might not know, you know, and that is when user testing is really interesting the, to find out the why. And the beauty is. If something is an issue, um, and you've and analytics have told you there is an issue on this page, you you only need to usually see five to ten people 
to find out why this is a problem. Because out of those 10 people, it will, this problem will come up. It will come up what exactly is going wrong, why, why this is a problem. Um, and so you need the quant to see what is my biggest area to focus on. And you need the qualitative to see, oh, that is what is actually happening. That is the problem that we need to fix. And also it gives you ideas for solutions because if you don't know exactly what the problem is or why something is a problem, then you also can't solve for it. So that's the two sides of the coin. I mean, that's, that's a really, really good framework. I'll see if we can get the, the screen captures from your talk too, because they're really, they're really helpful. But, you know, you, you move it, kinda, I kind of want to move along to some of these tips too, because what is that, and having been a user of analytics for a long time, I've seen this mistake myself. So make sure you're talking to actual users. So well, you might have, I've had this situation where um, we had a bunch of employee data in our analytics or you know, like you talking about like maybe you have family members who will dilute the the responses or something like that it's no, no longer uh no longer helpful what you know what tips do you have about making sure you're doing research on people who are actually a user of a product or a website or something like that yeah well um for for surveys you can actually you can rule out the people that you don't want to include in your survey data in your first question by asking them who they are. Um, uh, because like, for example, if we work for a company where we know that has a lot of distributed uh, employees, we, we ask them, who are you? And they're, they're preset options, always another, uh, an option other, but employees an option. And so do I not care what, why employees visit the website? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, maybe for this project, we need to be able to filter them out. And so filtering out who you don't want to speak to or who you don't want to hear from at this point is a great first option in, uh, in, in you can solve by, by asking that as a first question in a survey. Also, for example, if you just want to know what regular visitors think, ask the first question based on how often do you visit this website, you know, um, or how often do you order from this website once a week, uh, once a month, fewer. If you're just after input from super heavy users, Basically, identify those people in the first question. That's for surveys. Um, if you're doing user research like interviews or user testing where you really have to get, you know, up close and personal uh, with somebody, yeah, um, depends, again, on what you want to find out. But if you want to speak to potential clients, make sure that these are people who are in the market for your solution. Uh, and again, you could do that by either having a survey on the website or um, distributing it via social media or different recruitment agencies. But your screener has to make sure that you're getting people in who are actually good, yeah, a good match for what you're trying to what what you're trying to achieve. And it's and a lot of people think you know you have to be very specific about demographics, this, that, and the other. And I go like, yes, but also no. Um, like if you know for sure who your actual users are, a lot of people don't. A lot of people have very lofty ideas who their users are, but their dreams. Um, but if you know, and you know, for example, like, okay, our user base are 
mostly men between 50 and 80, then I would say, go speak to men between 50 and 80. Um, if that is not the case, if you don't know, then go really, really, then, then go broad. Then you can go as broad as you, as you like, but you have to know, okay, what do the people that, uh, my potential customers, what are actual characteristics of these people to make sure that they, that they, that, that I, that I talk to the right people. I always say, make sure you get people in who actually give a damn about what you're trying to tell them or sell them. That's it. Very good. And then I think that if I, if I could, the whole talk is good, but I think the highlight is a portion where you start to talk about asking the right questions. Mm. So much sense. This could have been like a top one of itself. It is a talk in and of itself, Mark. It's another talk of mine, and it's called The Lost Art of Asking Questions. Seriously. I get it. It's like, this is where it was really good. So there's, there's all these mistakes and pitfalls. Yeah. And, uh, and wrong ways to ask a leading question, yeah. uh, loaded questions, whatever. I don't know if we're going to have time to make this concise, but like, what are some of the ways you are seeing consistently? You're going, Oh, way to ask a question where it's too delayed. What are some of the ones having done this for so long where you just put your hands over your face and go, I can't believe they're doing this again when they're yeah. research. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, as you said, uh, leading questions, loaded questions, th those are, and a lot of people think they don't bias their questions. They need you. Um, another mistake I see um, that's made very often is asking too many closed questions. Like you can ask a closed question when it's about really like fact, uh, like for example, uh, who are you? You know, are you, um, and people know, people know their, people know their, 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 their gender. Um, they could say, I'm, I'm, uh, I identify as male, female, non-binary, et cetera. Those are what I would call a fact question. A lot of people think that asking people what version of a product they have, for example, if you sell software and it, and it comes in, I'm going to call it three flavors, but if you have, you know, like a basic, a gold and a platinum, if you ask people what version they have, mm, uh -uh. They, will, they will not even be able to report truthfully on that. So asking that as a closed question without offering, I'm not sure, something else, already sets you up for failure because it's a lot of people will just, because you ask them something and you don't offer them a way out, they will go like a basic or actually more, more people will probably go gold because it sounds fancier. Uh, so gold. Um, and then afterwards you will, you will go through the answers and you go like, Oh, well, our gold customers think ba 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 ba. Actually, this is not true. <laughs> Because 20% of people who told you they're your gold customers actually aren't. They don't remember your product. They just, you know, you didn't give them the, the option to, to tell you that. So that's a big problem. A big problem is asking closed questions when a closed question is not right. Um, um, waiting too long to send out a survey is, is another one. Um, if you if you're organizing an if you organize an event, and if you wait three weeks to 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 send people a survey, that's already pretty late. I got a survey which was 
and like over 200 days after 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 I I, I went and saw Tony Hawk, they sent me a, a survey about how did you how did you, how was the venue? The venue was fine, uh, and I still remember the venue. But then they also asked me, what did you think about the ticket buying process? Yeah. I mean, no. So asking too many close too many closed questions, sending out a survey too late, asking much too specific questions. Like they asked me, why did you feel, how did you feel about the speed of the, of, of the ticket process? Yeah. How is that narrow? Also not relevant, not relevant at all. How I feel about this. Um, did I go through this? All right. That's something your analytics should tell you. Do people drop off? Yes or no. Why does it matter how I feel about the speed? So interesting. And I, I wanted to just, the, the other part is you mentioned bias, but I love this as hmm. one of the hard parts about conducting research I can imagine is you've got a point of view. Everybody has a point of view. Ooh. They feel a certain way. They might love this product at the software company. Uh, you could have done all that preparatory work that you talked about perfectly. Everything, perfectly. But if the person actually administering, uh, like let's say an interview has hmm. some some sort of, uh, they inject their bias into it. There's also, mm. so, uh, this seems like a really like a, a point we should, we should dwell on a little bit. Like what advice do you have for researchers to avoid, uh, issuing their own bias in, in their research? Yeah, this is, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that you're making this point. I, 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 I say your, your moderator, your in, in, in user testing or your interviewer can be your biggest strength doing qualitative user research and can be your biggest weakness. Um, there's, there's a lot of things to, to be aware of as a moderator, as an interviewer, how you can bias your, your, your subject. Um, and it's, it's not just the words that you use. It's, it's your tone of voice. Um, it is, yeah, it is how you respond to the answers. If somebody says something and you go like, you know, that's not, that's not neutral. <laughs> that's a, that's a, hmm, they, 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 so, and that is, I, th I, I would say it is something that comes with practice. It is, you have to, you, you have to, even the, you can't say, let go of your biases because it doesn't work that way. What, what you can do is be aware of your bias, uh, be aware of it know that that you might have a preference for this or the other and know that yeah that this is something that you have to suppress you can't you, 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 nobody's no nobody's neutral uh but you have to be aware that this is something you have to suppress um and i i always think it helps if there is um for user testing and for for interviews even if especially in the first couple of sessions there is like you have an observer uh, as well uh, for user testing. You need you need an observer for note taking, who can also can 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 sort of like really spot it for you. Especially if you're starting out, you need somebody to to be there and to sort of to put you back on the rails again for for your next interview for 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 your next user test. And it's something that you become more aware of the more that you do it. Watching yourself. And listening to your own interviews, as painful as that can be, is really and because then you go like, oh my god, I I I I use this word and oh no, I should not. This is this is the wrong way of phrasing. Um, 
I always advise as well to do a test run of an interview and or to, and to do a test run of, of a user test scenario. Really think about how you are going to phrase a certain question. Um, cause yeah, that's, that's just very important. Well, plus, well, listen, this is the last part after all this work, we're going to need to create something. We'll need a, re a report that details, you know, the findings of the research. Uh, it would seem from your presentation that user research reporting has many of the same issues as SEO reporting or PPC reporting. It's like that, that this is something that unites all of us here. So whether that's the reports are too long or and so far, therefore never read or whatever, technical, what, what should be included? What, what, what is really, really important that when you look at uh, getting rid of stuff, but what, what has to be in there um, so that the, you know, a research report will be used and effective. Yeah. Well, I think the most important thing is like the, the findings, the most important findings, if possible, just in like bullets, like tech, 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 tech. these are the, these, these are the five or the six most important things that we saw. If it's three, then it's three. Uh, it doesn't have to be five. You know, these are the most important things that we found out. Um, based on this, this is our advice for the next steps. And for documentation purposes, it's always important to say, you know, when did we do this research? Uh, who did we do this research with? You know, the uh, the metadata of the research. Really, you have to be you have to be clear about this as well, um, so that if you go uh, look for it again, or if you if 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 you're if you're optimizing, it's always interesting to know, like, okay, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we see an issue with this page. What didn't we run a survey on this last year or two years ago that you know when this was, what the context was, et cetera. But in the report, I would say learnings, very short, next steps, very short. Um, yeah, I, like you have probably seen a lot of SEO reporting where you just go like, yeah, why don't you just, you know, knock me senseless with data that means nothing, that means nothing. We see that in, 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 in user research as well. A lot of just like graphs and like, or whole narrations of, of user testing was like, I'm not here for that. I'm here to know what did we learn and what do we need to do about this? Yeah, I remember in this feature, not a big fan of pie charts, like too many pie charts, too little <laughs> actionable information. So very good. Yeah. Was it, oh, like if, uh, I, I love this topic. I think it's really interesting and I'm, I'm learning a lot with our audience here too, which is fun. If people want to learn more about you or AG Consult, where where should they go to do that? What's your favorite social media? How do people get in touch with you? Um, I work too hard to be to be on social media very often. I'm kidding. Um, no. Um, they can reach out via LinkedIn. Um, I think I think my my well, Elsa Axon. I, I I look a little bit the same. So if you're watching, hopefully you'll recognize me. Uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise, else acts uh, usability. I think is my is my is my is my uh, complete tag on on LinkedIn. Uh, I am still on Twitter, but not very active anymore. And our website, um, agconsult.com. Even though, as a good usability agency, we are working to improve on 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 our own website. <laughs> so don't judge us by that. Don't judge us. Don't 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 look at, at our own website. Look at our clients' website. They are in much better shape than our own kids thing. So, well, listen, it's been so fun talking with you. I'm going to give you a virtual cheers. And for everyone else watching, we'll be back next week with another episode of Sudden Search. Thanks, Elf. Thank you very much for having me.